Today, the New York Times tore into Donald Trump's racist attacks on Judge Gonzalo Curiel. Instead of attacking Curiel for his association with a pro-illegal immigration organization, Trump went directly at Curiel's ethnicity, you'll remember. He claimed that his Mexican parentage, who was born in Indiana, made him unfit to serve as a judge on the Trump University case. Here is the New York Times, quote, Federal judges have repeatedly and emphatically refused to recuse themselves from cases because of their race or ethnicity. These rulings were driven by two realizations. Ethnically-based challenges would reduce every judge to a racial category, which would be racist. And such challenges would make judges vulnerable to recusal motions for reasons of race, ethnicity, gender, or religion in every case that came before them. Once it started, the ethnic cleansing of the court system could be made to apply to any unpopular group at any time. Mr. Trump is essentially arguing that his own bigoted attitude toward Mexicans has disqualified a respected jurist from hearing a court case in which he is a defendant. Okay, that's basically right, but we must ask. Did the New York Times just realize that discrimination for or against people on the basis of race is racist? See, here's the thing. I understand why people like me, people on the right, are upset with Trump. We think that ethnicity and race are completely irrelevant to your quality as a human being. We don't care whether your parents were Mexican or Irish or Armenian or Jewish. We only care whether you're a good human being doing good things. The left doesn't hold by that same standard. The left constantly suggests white cops can't make objectively decent police decisions in minority communities. And when President Obama nominated now Justice Sonia Sotomayor, news quickly broke of a lecture she'd given in 2001 in which she labeled herself better qualified for the judiciary because she was, quote, a wise Latina woman. This is racism. Ethnicity doesn't make you a better judge, but it was one of the chief qualifiers for that same New York Times, which defended Sotomayor's comments and excoriated her critics. Here's what the Times wrote all the way back then, quote, the first Hispanic nominee to the court is being called racist. She's being attacked as not smart enough, as too abrasive, a description often applied to women who speak their minds in public life. There have even been reports that critics have taken aim at her taste for Puerto Rican food. The context matters. She was pointing out throughout history, even esteemed white male justices like Oliver Wendell Holmes voted to uphold race and sex discrimination. She said accidents of birth inform people's views, but judges must strive to look beyond them. Some of Judges Sotomayor's detractors seem uncomfortable with her Puerto Rican heritage. So, in other words, according to the New York Times, racism is totally cool when it comes from the left when you use diversity as code for ethnic cleansing of white people, like Oliver Wendell Holmes from the judiciary. But when it's the reverse, then it has to be called out. It should be called out in both of these cases. Racism is bad, gang. There are those like racist Panzer or Pat Buchanan. He thinks the left's racism justifies his own. And so he justifies Donald Trump's comments on these grounds. He quotes, he says, quote, to many liberals, all white Southern males are citizens under eternal suspicion of being racists. The most depressing thing about this episode is to see Republicans rushing to stomp on Trump to show the left how well they have mastered their liberal catechism. Fighting racism is not a liberal catechism, gang. It's the right thing to do. But because there are racists on both sides, racism is now returning with a vengeance. Pat Buchanan's what's good for them is good for us revenge racism and the left's diversity over merit racism. All of this is ugly and all of it ought to be fought. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Yeah, tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So last night, Hillary Clinton locked up the number of delegates that she's going to need in order for her to be the nominee. And she's very, very excited about it. Nobody else is particularly excited about it. The excitement is gone. The thrill is gone for Hillary. When she keeps saying this is a historic moment, all I can think of is, well, so was the Hindenburg, but that wasn't that great. Here's Hillary Clinton you know, ripping on Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, by the way, says, I don't trust any of these counts. We're going all the way to the convention. And Hillary basically says, you don't understand math. And he says, well, yeah, that's why I'm a socialist. Hillary says, here's what Hillary says about, about Bernie Sanders. 
when Senator Sanders has been essentially warning the networks, warning journalists that they shouldn't declare the nomination clinched tomorrow, uh, even if you do cross the delegate threshold, because he says the superdelegates can't really be counted until uh, they vote at the convention. Obviously, as you just explained, that was not your calculus in 2008 when the race was even closer than it is now. Uh, what's your reaction to, to him casting the race that way? Does that frustrate you? I find it perplexing. Uh, what he basically seems to be saying is that the will of the people should be overturned. Uh, I have this very substantial lead in the popular vote, more than three million votes. That means more than three million Democrats and others voting in Democratic contests have chosen me. I have a very significant lead in pledged delegates. He's basically seems to be uh, suggesting that superdelegates should overturn uh, the will of the people. That is just uh, hard for me to understand. It's never happened before. It's not going to happen this time. Okay, so she's right, actually, when she says that Sanders is, is dismissing the quote-unquote will of the people. I do want to point out that will of the people is a malleable term, as we've noticed. It was the will of the people that Donald Trump be the nominee with 42% of the popular vote. It's the will of the people that Hillary Clinton be the nominee with a majority of the vote. It's, it's a, the will of the people that Bernie Sanders be the, the nominee because he's got more enthusiasm. The will of the people doesn't mean anything. All that means anything is the actual number of votes that are counted. And so when people say will of the people, you should search for your wallet a little bit. It's, it's very rare that there is one single will of the people. It really is just an excuse for, for a, sort, a certain sort to say, I deserve power, right? I channel the will of the people. There is no single will of the people. People have various different wills. It's one of the reasons for small government. It's one of the reasons that a small government is a good thing, because if the government is small, presumably, this allows you to have your own will. There's no grand will of the people that must be enacted by any particular politician. Hillary's very excited nonetheless. She says, this is a historic moment. Here we are. It's a historic moment. And that face and that camera growling at that camera. Woo, here we go. I've seen it for more than a year. My supporters are passionate. They are committed. They have voted for me in great numbers across our country for many reasons. But among those reasons is their belief that um, having a woman president will make a great uh, statement, a historic statement uh, about what kind of country we are, what we stand for. It's really emotional. And I am someone who um, has been very touched and really encouraged by this extraordinary conviction that people have. It's predominantly women and girls, but not exclusively. Men bring their daughters to meet me and uh, tell me that they are supporting me because of their daughters. Okay, and let's I do stop it there. So this is, it, this is all, you can't rip Donald Trump for saying that Mexican judges are going to be biased against him if you're willing to say Hillary's a better president because she has a vahoo right? It doesn't work that way. You don't get to have it both ways. By the way, no one is excited about Hillary being the first female president. No one. This idea that there are masses of women out there are like, yay, first female president. They don't exist. Okay, there, there are a few of them, I'm sure. They're all in Hollywood, and they all pat themselves on the back for how wonderful they are. But they're not real. The, the, it, there's no broad movement. And by the way, this idea that women are somehow out of power in politics, 55% of the electorate is female. Okay, more women than men vote in the United States. So this whole thing, men control politics. Well, ladies, that's your fault then, because you're the ones who are voting. You're voting in greater numbers than we are. And by the way that you've been voting lately, you're making a big botch of it. So you, know, you might want to reconsider this whole women have it better when you elect President Obama twice and now you're going to elect Hillary Clinton. 
So Hillary says all this. She also says she's excited about having President Obama's support. It's all very exciting. I want to point out here that the media have now made clear what we all knew they were going to do. So what the media said early on is they said, Donald Trump, we're, we're going to cover him, we're going to cover him. And, and there was this baseline assumption by members of the Republican Party that they were going to, that, that the media was going to treat Trump fairly in a general election. And no, it was never going to happen. The media has passed the point where they got to nominate the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, and they got to nominate the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. And now they're coming out in force. So I want to show you some questions that were asked to Hillary Clinton at this, this press gaggle. I just want to show you the questions. This is clip 24. It's, it's amazing. Listen to the questions that are being asked by the press. They finally get a chance to ask a felon questions, right? And instead of asking her about her felonies or instead of asking her about her, her vague policies, instead of asking her about Libya, instead of asking her about a thousand things, here is what they ask Hillary Clinton. And this, this sounds exactly like a sports press gaggle after somebody throws the winning touchdown. How did it feel to throw that winning touchdown? What do you think they're going to say? It felt terrible. You know, it made me really remember the plight of the suffering in China. Like, well, what do you think she's going to say? But here's how the media are really going to treat Hillary Clinton all the way through. It's one of the reasons why Donald Trump is just a big middle finger to everything. One of the reasons that Donald Trump is a big middle finger to the media is because of stuff like this. Here's how the media treat Hillary Clinton. You're on the cusp of being the first female nominee of a major party. What does that mean to you, and how are you reflecting on that? No matter what happens tomorrow, Bernie Sanders has said the convention of Philadelphia will be contested. Uh, do you think there's anything you can do to change that at this point? But is it setting in that you might be making some serious big time <laughs> tomorrow? Do you believe that uh, some prominent Democrats have come out saying we maybe need to reevaluate the superdelegate system more broadly? Irrespective of what happens in this primary, do you support looking into that and perhaps getting rid of them? Secretary, last night when you took stage in Sacramento, there was a woman standing next to me who was absolutely sobbing. And she said, you know, it's time. It's past time. And you see the women, you see people here. And people just come up to you and, and they they get tears in their eyes. Right. Do you feel do you feel the weight of what this means for people? Okay, we can cut it there. Women were sobbing. Sobbing. Do you feel the weight of history on you, Winston Churchill? Do you feel like this is just like when they were fighting the Nazis and there you are with your vahoo waving it around, telling everybody that you deserve to be president? These kind of questions from the press make everyone want to start vomiting and never stop vomiting. It becomes that gif from, from Team America where you just think there's the long vomit scene and just keeps vomiting and vomiting. Or like The Exorcist where everyone's head swivels around and they vomit in 360 degrees. This is This is... This is why people say, well, F you, Trump. This is why, because the media is so horrible at all of this. They're just horrible and they're terrible in every way. Now, with that said, with that said, here is the person you chose to go up against Hillary Clinton. So I'm about to say the four words that I, I that some people say they hate to say these four words. These are actually my four favorite words in the English language because it proves to you you should continue to listen to me. And also, you should take what I say seriously because I am almost invariably correct. So here it is. I told you so. So back in March, I wrote a piece in the Jewish Journal. We talked about it at the time in which I explained why Donald Trump had risen to power, what was driving all of this. And one of the factors that I named was Donald Trump's take on American exceptionalism. So what I said, and I want to read you the section from, from this piece. So let me, let me grab that really quickly if the Internet will, will cooperate. So what, what Donald Trump said 
is so 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 what I said about American exceptionalism, I said wrote this direct quote. Okay, back March second, in his own way, Donald Trump believes in American exceptionalism much like Barack Obama does, as a term to describe parochial patriotism. Obama infamously remarked in two thousand nine. I believe in American exceptionalism, just as I suspect the Brits believe in British exceptionalism and the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. Obama meant that dismissively. American exceptionalism is just something we do because we're American, not because we're actually special. Trump means it proudly. His nationalism is a reaction to Obama's anti-nationalism. It says Barack Obama may think America isn't worthy of special protection because we're not special. Well, we're America, damn it, even if we don't know what makes us special. According to Trump, We ought to operate off the assumption that Americans deserve better lives, not because they live out better principles or represent a better system, but because they're here. The Republican Party has stood for embrace of anyone who will embrace American values. Extreme European right-wing parties tend to embrace people out of ethnic allegiance rather than ideological allegiance. Trump uncomfortably straddles that divide. That's what I said about about Trump's take on American exceptionalism. He doesn't know what makes America exceptional. He doesn't know, right? He thinks that what makes America exceptional is that we are rich. Right, that we're successful. So this is what I said about Trump, right? And people, oh, no, he, he knows what American exceptionalism, he knows what it, here is, this is April 2015, has now been uncovered by Mother Jones. Here is Donald Trump being asked specifically, specifically about American exceptionalism. Here is Donald Trump's answer. Here we go. Define American exceptionalism. Does American exceptionalism still exist? And uh, what do we do to grow American exceptionalism? Okay, well, I don't like the term. I'll be honest with you. And I'll, people will say, oh, he's not patriotic. Look, if I'm a Russian or if I'm a German or if I'm a person we do business with, why, you know, I don't think it's a very nice term. We're exceptional. You're not. First of all, Germany's eating our lunch. So they say, why are you exceptional? We're doing a lot better than you. I never liked the term. And... Perhaps that's because I don't have a very big ego and I don't need terms like that. But honestly, <laughs> when you're doing business, I mean, I watch Obama every once in a while say American exceptionalism. I don't like the term because we're dealing, first of all, I want to take everything back from the world that we've given them. We've given them so much. On top of taking it back, I don't want to say huh. we're exceptional. We're more exceptional. Essentially, you're saying we're more, we're more outstanding than you. By the way, you've been eating our lunch for the last 20 years, but we're more exceptional than you. I don't like the term. I never liked it. When I see these politicians get up with the American exceptionalism, and we're dying. We owe 18 trillion in debt. I'd like to make us exceptional, and I'd like to talk later instead of now. Does that make any sense? That's good. Because I think you're insulting the world. You're insulting the world. This is an amazing And you know, Jim, if you're German, or if you're from Japan, or you're from China, you don't want to have people saying that. Right. I never like the expression. Okay, so and I see a lot of good patriots get up and, and talk about America. You can think it, but I don't think we should say it. We may have a chance to say it in the not-too-distant future, but even then I wouldn't say it. Because when I take back the jobs and when I take back all that money and we get all our... Sa- I don't want to rub it in. Let's not rub it in. Let's not rub it in. But I never liked that term. Okay, that's an amazing statement. What makes America exceptional, and it would be true whether we were poor or whether we were rich, what makes America, it, it happens that because of these values, we are rich, but Trump doesn't understand that. What makes America exceptional is the basic idea that government is there to protect your rights, but not to violate them. And that as soon as government violates your rights, it loses all ability to be government, and that that violation of rights is unjustified under natural or godly law. That's the basic idea of American exceptionalism. 
right? That you have inalienable rights as a human being, as expressed in the Declaration of Independence. You can't get rid of them. There's no way to get rid of them. And if government violates those rights, government has done something deeply wrong. And in order to preserve those rights, we've instituted a system of checks and balances so that the government cannot become overweening and violate your ability to live as you see fit. That's what makes America exceptionalism. Not rich, not richness, not, not wealth. There have been plenty of wealthy empires in history, lots of them. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Chinese now are gaining wealth. That does not make them ex exceptional. What makes us exceptional is the ideas behind the Declaration of it. We're the only country in history founded on an idea. Not founded just on borders, not founded just because we're there, but founded on an actual idea. And that's an amazing thing. That's, that's what makes us unique. But Trump doesn't understand that. Trump thinks the only thing that would make us unique is if we're rich. And the people here, we're unique because we're here. And this leads to this sort of nativism and this idea that only he personally can make America great again. When he says make America great again, he doesn't mean return to founding principles. He means make us economically powerful again, and he should have unlimited power to do that. He should have unlimited power to do that. Which is why Mitch McConnell is out there, even Mitch McConnell, who now endorses him, is out there saying things like, Donald Trump has to learn not to be a dictator. That's scary stuff, right? I mean, that's truly frightening stuff, is, is that that's what Mitch McConnell is saying. But it's also why Donald Trump is happy to threaten people. It's why he, when people say he's a proto-fascist, like Andrew Clavin says he's a proto-fascist, it springs from this idea, right? The only way to make America great again is to hand him ultimate power. America's ideals aren't great. Only America is great in competition with others. He says, I want to take back everything we gave to the world. What, you mean like freedom? Would you like to take that back? Would you like to take back World War II, where we granted Europe freedom? Would you like to take back the Cold War, where we granted half the world freedom? Would you like to take all that back? This is scary stuff, folks, and it doesn't get better just because Trump is saying it. This is, this is what I hate about the Trump movement. I've been saying it all along. Trump, backing Trump, is going to pervert conservatism. And it's not if Trump wins. It's the movement itself is perverting conservatism. And, and this is what's happening in real time, every day, right now. People are going to look at this, and if Obama had said this, they would have said, this is egregious, this is unpatriotic, it's un-American. Trump says it, well, you know, nothing really makes America great. Nothing makes America great. Its ideas don't make America great. And Trump says that in order to, in order to exercise this power, he basically needs to be able to, to intimidate anyone. So David French, who, who announced yesterday he's not going to be running for president, which makes me sad. I would have gladly voted for David French, the columnist for National Review. Trump apparently had his surrogates or supporters threaten David French's wife. Right? And this is okay with everybody. Here's David French on MSNBC explaining. So was that someone from the Trump campaign, you said, called someone like, from your wife's family? Yeah. Identified, they identified themselves as someone affiliated with the Trump campaign who had been told to uh, call, you know, a member of my, they tracked down a member of my wife's family in Tennessee while all of this is going on. And I, you know, I only learned about it later. It, it, you know, I, <laughs> I consider that a threat. I considered it a ham-handed effort to intimidate. Hmm. Ham-handed effort to intimidate. They're calling his wife and threatening people. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And that's okay with the Trump people because we need someone tough. We need to make America great again. Again, what makes America great is the principles that you guys are discarding. This is why people say, well, we don't need an ideologue. No, we do. We need an ideologue on behalf of what made America great in the first place. We don't need someone to come along and say, all power vested in me will make your life great again. That is un-American. Forget un-American. It's not conservative. Forget not conservative. It's not right. It's not moral. And it's not true. Okay, that's what, that's what really the problem is. So that being said, it doesn't matter. What's happening is the perversion of the conservative movement. You're watching as people get sucked into the gaping maw of Trumpism. And they're be, it's, it's like the Sarlacc in, in Return of the Jedi. I mean, they're just, they're just falling in there. And it doesn't matter. They thought they were allied with the Sarlacc, right? I mean, Jabba thought he was allied with the Sarlacc. Didn't matter. All the people are falling off of Jabba's ship right into the middle of the Sarlacc, right? He's just eating all of them. 
and, and, and that, that weird tongue thing is snaking around people's legs and dragging them down, right? So Donald Trump is, is dragging everybody down. So in the last week, what that's meant is his Mexican comment, right? You can't be a judge on his case if you're Mexican. It turns out not only can you not be a judge on his case if you're Mexican, you also can't be a judge on his case if you're a woman. So Katrina Pearson, who is his spokeswoman, she's asked, okay, Trump says Mexican judges will be, will be mean to him. Does this also hold true of female judges? And here's Katrina Pearson just sticking her face right in the mud pie that is the Trump campaign. Here she is. You know Donald Trump's sister is a federal judge in New York. If somebody were to say to her she was biased in regards to some sort of case because she's a woman, that would be, that would be awful, wouldn't it? Well, it would depend on her past and the decision that she's made as a judge. Um, there is no question that there are activist judges in this country. CNN gives a platform to Black Lives Matter, and their entire premise is injustice in the system due to race. Okay, so she says there sort of what she means, which is maybe women judges are going to be biased too. So basically, identity politics all the way through. Maybe, maybe female judges won't like Donald Trump either. Now, that's not totally what she's saying. She's sort of saying there could be situations in which being a female bias you. Why? I mean, this is identity politics at its finest. Donald Trump even is trying to walk this back a little bit, but it's it's too little too late. Here's Donald Trump now saying he doesn't care if the judge was Mexican after spending a week saying he cares if the judge is Mexican. She has a uh, tape of her saying great things and she has a written statement signed by her saying great things. And the judge dismissed her from the case, but left the case dead. We thought we were going to win the case. I don't care if the judge is Mexican or not. I'm going to do great with the Mexican people because I provide jobs. So I don't care about Mexican. But we're being treated very unfairly, Bill. Very, very unfairly. Okay. And so he says he doesn't care whether the judge is Mexican anymore. Now, the media are totally on the attack against Trump now because now they're unleashing the beast. The problem I have, and this is what makes me so sad about all of this, it makes me so sad. The media are despicable. I played you that clip of the questions they were asking Hillary Clinton. Oh, Hillary, how historic is it that you're going to be the nominee? Does this make you more or less historic than Jesus? Are you actually going to ascend to heaven after you become president? Or will we have to wait till you're on your deathbed and then you'll bless us and God will kiss you and take your soul like you did to Moses? How exactly is all this going to go? Will you, will you get on a chariot like Elijah and rise to heaven? That's how they ask questions to Hillary Clinton. And then they attack Donald Trump. Right. And so the double standard is there and the double standard is terrible. There's only one problem. When they attack Donald Trump, I can't stop it, folks. I can't stop it because these attacks are legit. These attacks are legit. It's illegitimate that they're defending Hillary Clinton, but it's totally legit the way they're going after Donald Trump. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not that they're not hypocrites. Right. Joe Scarborough is a perfect example of a hypocrite. Here's Joe Scarborough on MSNBC today saying that the, the Republican Party really has to call out Donald Trump. It's imperative that they call out Donald Trump on this Mexican judge thing. Republicans in Washington, D.C., right now you are letting your presumptive nominee, who is making racist statements, run roughshod over what remaining national reputation we have as a national party. You have to start calling him out today. This is not where you can do the slow boil. You have to start calling him out and saying you're going to retract your endorsement of him today or else the United States Senate is in danger. Kelly Ayotte's seat is in danger. Rob Portman's seat is in danger. Ron Johnson's seat is in danger. Okay, so, so Scarborough's of- super ticked. He's super ticked off. Okay, flashback to about a month ago. Here's Joe Scarborough talking about how anyone ripping on Donald Trump, this is the flashback clip, anyone ripping on Donald Trump, it's hard to tell because he's wearing exactly the same outfit, uh, is, 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 is in the wrong here. That, that We all have to just accept Trump. 
So few things are insulting to me, but what's insulting to me is you can't state <laughs> politically obvious things, right? Without people saying, oh, you're at the tank for Trump, or oh, you're supporting Trump, or oh, no, no, no. We just can actually look at the earth and see that the sun goes down and that it's actually not flat. But there have been a lot of flat earthers out there for nine months right now yep. who have been t writing stories in the mainstream media, writing stories nonstop that Donald Trump will never win. He's a fool. He's an idiot. Then when it looks like he could win, he's a Nazi. He's a fascist. Uh, I, I think it was Robert Wright to Mussolini and Hitler and Stalin, which is pretty good. You can combine that. That's about 50 million deaths between them all. I guess it's because... It's not funny, but it's... A... No, I guess it's just because, I mean, you no, think about it, thing. Donald Trump is still friends with Omarosa, which TV Guide once listed as one of the top 60 villains in television history. So I suppose that you know that. there's a reason. I suppose there is a reason why people could draw the conclusion between Trump and Hitler because Vomorose, he wasn't nice to Rosie either. So maybe that's the Stalin thing. Stalin killed and 30 million of his own people. So maybe there's that connection. What I don't really know. Okay. Okay. But Joe I do Scarborough. know political okay. reality. Okay, Joe Scarborough, let me just say this to you. Okay, this is absurd. This is absurd. Okay, Joe Scarborough a month ago was saying, you can't call him bad names. Stop calling him bad names. It's terrible. Today. How dare you not call Donald Trump bad names? You knew who he was all along, you terrible people. This is the game the media have been playing all along. The game the media was, we're going to suck you in by pretending that Donald Trump is an exception to our let's kill the Republican rule. And then it turns out he's not an exception. He is the, he's the example par excellence. He's the example par excellence of how we are going to tear somebody apart. Watch Anderson Cooper rip apart Jeffrey Lord, who is a Trump campaign spokesman straight from, uh, straight from the Tales of the Crypt. Talking about this Mexican judge. Here's Anderson Cooper, who looks largely like a wolf husky, uh, and or Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, talking to <laughs> Jeffrey Lord. But what's Kate. interesting about what you're saying is you're not talking about what Donald Trump said, identifying this guy as Mexican, when in fact he's not Mexican, he's American, born in Indiana. Uh, and, I mean, Donald I'm Trump is talking about what... his Mexican heritage impacting and determining how he can rule. Correct. Isn't that identity politics? Correct. Be, okay. yeah, be correct, Anderson. I'm talking about it because this is the issue. This, this goes far beyond Trump University. This goes to pointing, appointing people to the bench and having a legal <coughs> system where everybody is supposed to be judged by their skin so, color so or their ethnic heritage. Donald Trump is simply picking this up and saying, okay, if that's the way you're going, then this guy should be off the bench. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, that is the most And the Muslim comment that he made That is the most, I mean, you're, you're doing backflips you? here to interpret something Donald Trump no, said. No, Anderson, you're saying by, Anderson, by, say, by talking about, about no, no, by identifying him as Mexican and not, and not even a Mexican heritage, by labeling him by his, his identity, as a Latino. you're saying he's actually Anderson. commenting on identity politics of others. Anderson, Anderson, the judge goes out of his way to identify himself as Latino. The judge does it. Th that's this like saying a judge Donald who's Trump, part of a, a Catholic organization or a Jewish organization. Should Jewish judges not be allowed on the bench? Muslim judges, which or who belong to the Apparently, they can. I am saying if they are, if they are if they are belonging to organizations that are explicitly about race and bringing race into the judicial system instead of the Constitution, that's the problem. And that has been going on for a long time. Justice Sotomayor and her wise Latina okay, mark, but again, uh, remark you, you have no comments that this example. judge has actually made. You're just linking him to what another, to a Latina judge, uh, 
because what they all think uh, alike. I, I, mean, I, I don't understand. It's the same philosophy. This is the liberal philosophy writ large. Anderson okay, so so judges, period. Giant fail. Giant fail. Epic fail. So he's trying to make the argument that I made in the introduction here, which is that leftists have been playing this game all along. The problem is he's trying to justify Trump for doing exactly the same thing, and it just doesn't work. And the media is tearing people apart over this. And you can see the Republicans are now in full-on faceplant mode. Okay, they've now realized too late that they are the wrong end of the human centipede here. That Donald Trump is at the head and that there's a whole line of people in that human centipede and it's really horrifying. That's, that's what they're now beginning to realize. There's a whole chain of people who are doing this now. So Harry Reid comes out, he says, Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate Majority Leader, he's spineless for not standing up to Donald Trump. I can't argue against this and Harry Reid is one of the worst people in the history of American politics. Here's Harry Reid. Senator McConnell and all Congressional Republicans leaders have never taken a stand against Trump's vile rhetoric. That's because the hate emanating from Trump's mouth reflects the Republican Party's agenda here in the United States Senate for the last seven and a half years. The agenda that Senator McConnell himself promoted. For years, Senator McConnell and other Republican leaders embraced the darkest elements within their party. The Republican Party made anti-woman, anti-Latino, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, and anti-Obama policies the norm. Trump is the logical this is the problem. Okay, so, of what Republican so the, leaders have been saying. This is what they're going to do. Okay, so we stop Harry Reid there. This is what they're going to do. Everything that Trump represents is now going to be smeared all over conservatism. So you oppose, you oppose illegal immigration. You must be a Trumpkin who thinks Mexican judges shouldn't sit on the bench. You think that it's a bad idea to publicly fund Planned Parenthood. It's because you must think all women are ugly and or pieces of ass. Right? The, 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 everything Trump does, you break it, you bought it, and now you own it. Now you own it. And watch Mitch McConnell try to run headlong from this. Mitch McConnell tries to, tries to run so fast from this. And again, the problem is that Mitch McConnell can only move at the speed of a turtle. And so here is, here's Mitch McConnell trying to run from this. How do you react to the people who say that you, as the majority leader of the Senate, something you, you, you wanted and you got, uh, and, and John Boehner, the Speaker of the House, that you two are... In, in, in large part, responsible, if you will, for the rise of Donald Trump? Uh, my answer is that's nonsense. Responsible for the rise. No, you are, because your specklessness in the face of Obama led people to get angry, and then they reacted to you by getting the guy who's out of the box and says crazy things, and then you backed him, and then you backed him. Right? You can't, you can't say, I'm backing that guy. Mitch McConnell is in this really awkward position now because if he doesn't back Donald Trump openly, then Trump smacks him. And this is exactly what happened, by the way. Mitch McConnell came out. He condemned Trump's Mexican remarks. And the initial response of the Trump campaign was to rip on Mitch McConnell. Right? This is the way that this works now. You're now in the you're, – you're, I, I warned you, folks. You get in the passenger seat with Trump, and Trump drives you toward that cliff like, like, in, like in Rebel Without a Cause. Okay, you're going over that cliff with him, whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter how loud you scream at him. Doesn't matter how often you tell him to turn that car around or put it in reverse or hit the brakes. He ain't going to do it. You're in the car with him. You're in the car with him. Okay, you're on the Trump train and it's headed for Eastwood Ravine, like in Back to the Future 3. That's where we're going now. And it's a little amusing. I got to be honest. It's a little amusing because there are two groups of people here. One I feel a little bad for, one I don't. The people I feel kind of bad for are the people who say, well, you know, Trump is, I didn't vote for him in the primaries. I opposed him in the primaries. Now we're stuck. What do we want, Hillary? Okay, nobody wants Hillary. Everybody thinks this is terrible. Understood. I feel bad for some of those folks. Then there's the second group of people who are pushing Trump all along. The Mike Huckabees of the world. I don't feel bad for you one iota. You own it. 
I hope you enjoy this. I don't feel bad for Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell could have come out in favor of Ted Cruz. He didn't. So could Paul Ryan. He didn't. You all had the ability to try and come out against Donald Trump. And instead, you sat still and you sat on your hands because you didn't want to tick people off. And now here you are on national television having to answer questions about whether Mexicans should be allowed on the bench. Not even Mexicans, Americans who are born in America and their parents happen to be of Mexican extraction, whether they should be allowed on the bench. And it's awkward for you, I understand. But it's delicious for me because you have this coming. So here's Mike Huckabee, who is basically Trump's Igor at this point. Uh, and he's got nothing going on in his life. So he's, he's saying that the establishment GOP, like Mitch McConnell, they can't stand in front of Trump. They're just lucky we're not executing them. Republicans did that, and yeah. they're getting what they justly deserve. They're getting spanked, and they need to be happy they're only getting spanked and not executed because there is seething rage out in the country for those who have fought to help some of these guys get elected, and they get there, and they surrendered to Obama, and people are sick of it. And I think uh, that's why we've seen the, the <laughs> spirit of this election. And frankly, Donald Trump uh, gives me great comfort. I, I tell people I don't have any hesitation going out there and uh, genuinely supporting, supporting Donald Trump. He doesn't have any hesitation whatsoever. General, and by the way, anyone who opposes Trump should basically be executed. So that's good stuff. That's, that's really, I think, and by the way, in this interview, you couldn't tell because he's not speaking. The person he's talking to is Sean Hannity, the official press secretary for the, for the Trump campaign. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, who is the deputy press secretary for the Trump campaign, he came out and he says that, you know, Trump says that this, this, this judge should be recused, should, should not be able to, to be on this case because Trump says he's a Mexican and therefore now he's tainted. Here's Bill, Bill O'Reilly agrees with Trump. He agrees with Trump. In other words, Donald Trump says, I want this guy to recuse himself. Note, Donald Trump's attorneys have not, have not filed a motion for recusal because there's no basis for it. Here's Bill O'Reilly saying the judge should recuse himself anyway, just because Trump wants him to recuse himself. The Trump U case is certainly political to some extent, and it's a very high profile situation. Because of that, Talking Points believes the judge should recuse himself. Not because he did anything wrong, he didn't. But to eliminate any doubt as to the motivation in court rulings. Oh my God. There are plenty of federal judges that could immediately step in. It is valid that some may see any recusal as caving to intimidation. But stark justice in a case this important, Trump's pardon upon. Okay. Any theoretical okay, argument. So, so, so stark justice, by, the, by, by stark justice, he means what Donald Trump says, right? Because stark justice demands that a judge should not be removed from a case unless you have actual reason to remove him other than you don't like the color of his skin, right? That's what stark justice would demand. But here's Bill O'Reilly out there defending him. Trump, by the way, is you, you, you wonder why he's defending Donald Trump. The reason he's defending Donald Trump is because Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly are like this. They're tight, right? They have milkshakes together. Trump actually was on O'Reilly's show last night. And he openly implied that, that O'Reilly had sent him questions before the interview to tell him what he was going to ask him about. The Boston Globe yesterday um, writes that you pay men in your campaign a third more in salary than you pay women. And this goes back to my theme that this is what you're going to be confronted with. Number one, is that true? Do you pay men a third more than women in your campaign? The answer is no, and I just had to check because I heard this was going to be a question. I don't know. I have a good source, and somebody said that this could be a question. I just checked it, Bill, <laughs> and the answer is no. Okay, so I wonder why these defenders are defending him. Megyn Kelly, uh, who is, who's back to going after Trump when he's being dishonest, which she's been doing for—she's the only one on Fox, or one of the few. Brett Baer's been doing it. Uh, there, there are a few others. Dana Perino's been doing it. Here's Megyn Kelly smacking Bill O'Reilly over this whole thing. 
Even some pundits are demanding that Judge Curiel step down to eliminate doubts as to his motivations. But that is not the way our system works. Judges must indeed avoid conflicts of interest or the appearance of conflicts of interest. But litigants do not get to create that appearance by vocally complaining about the judge. Any litigant who moved to disqualify a judge based on his heritage would actually be sanctioned, punished by any court, and it's happened in the past, rightfully. Moreover, if a litigant making a stink about a judge necessarily resulted in a conflict that would force the judge to step down, it would lead to chaos in our court system. It would prejudice the other party who's not complaining or taking their licks, and would lead to more parties throwing fits in order to bounce judges off the case whose rulings they do not like. Okay, so of course everything Megyn Kelly says right here is totally true. This is all totally true, but it doesn't matter. Now everybody's been forced between this rock and this hard place, and you can see it all over the news today. Everybody is having to answer questions about Donald Trump's stupidity. So you remember when there was Todd Akin back in the 2012 election cycle, and Todd Akin was this guy who was running for Senate in Missouri, and he made a comment about how if a woman was legitimately raped or something, forcibly raped, I think was the language that he used, that that she wouldn't get pregnant, that, that women have magical uteruses that reject rape sperm or some such nonsense. And everybody ran for the hills from him. Oh, my God, he's, everyone's going to be tired with this. Imagine Todd Akin being a thousand times worse and running for president. That's what you've got now. So Jeff Sessions, who's on the Trump campaign, right? He's his immigration guy, he was just asked, like literally just a few minutes ago, he was just asked about these comments. And the exchange is is pretty darn hilarious. The exchange for Jeff Sessions, I'm going to try and find the transcript here because it's pretty funny. It goes like this. Senator, do you condone Donald Trump's comments about Judge Curiel? Answer. Well, he's answered that. He's made a statement on it. Question. But what do you think about it? Answer. I don't have any statement on it. He's answered that. Question. Do you think it was racist? No response. Okay, this is how <laughs> these exchanges are going to go all the way down the line. Watch as Paul Ryan does the same thing. Paul Ryan, who came out, he's had a rough week. He came out last week and he endorsed Donald Trump, said, I'd, I'd back him for president. Sure, I'd back him for president because he'll be better than Hillary Clinton. And then he had a press conference today, and he's condemning Trump. The comment about the judge the other day just was out of left field from my mind. It's, it's reasoning I don't relate to. I completely disagree with the thinking behind that. Um, and so I, he clearly says and does things I don't agree with. And, and I've had to speak up on time to time when that has occurred, and I'll continue to do that if that's necessary. I hope it's not. But at the end of the day, this agenda we're rolling out, which is our conservative principles and the policies that implement those principles, it, it is clear to me that, that, that we, have a, we, we, are, we have somebody who is a willing partner in advancing these things. And I know for darn sure Hillary Clinton is going to go in the opposite direction in every one of these things. Okay, so he's, he's trying to have it both ways. Hillary will be, will be worse than Trump, but I can't. But Trump's a racist. I mean, he's saying racist things. He was asked, by the way, a follow-up which was, you say he's saying racist things. Is Trump a racist? And he said, well, I don't want to go there. So now it's now you're in awkward land again, and you just can't escape awkward land. Trump land is awkward land. Abandon hope, all ye who enter Trump land. That's basically where we are. Mitch McConnell just came out moments ago and says it's time for Trump to stop attacking various minority groups. Oh, oh, all you people could have been part of a counter movement. You could have stopped him, and you didn't. By the way, you still can, but you're gonna pick, now you're going to piss off a vast swath of Republican voters if you stop him at the convention, which you still can. It's still possible to do that. But that possibility is growing daily because Donald Trump can't stop himself. He can't stop himself and he won't stop. As we said yesterday, it's Donald Trump turned down for what? And it's making it very, very difficult for anyone to defend him. There's an ad that came out that's now been pushed out. Well, for, before I get to that, I just have to, sorry, one, one quick thing. The greatest defender of Donald Trump is, of course, Chris Christie. 
And Chris Christie, and after having that existential death stare as he endorsed Donald Trump, the one that, that Lindsey put dust in the wind from Kansas to, Chris Christie, as I've said before, has become Renfield to Donald Trump's Dracula. And as long as Donald Trump keeps feeding him juicy tarantulas, he'll be out there, a juicy, juicy custard-filled tarantulas. Chris Christie will be out there defending Donald Trump, and it's just, this is so awful in every way for conservatism, for the brand, for the Republican Party. Here is Chris Christie just making, I would say, an enormous ass out of himself, but that would be underestimating his, his rotundity. So here is Chris Christie. I don't know the history of the Trump University case, so I'm not going to get into speaking about all that. I've said this before, um, that I know Donald Trump, I've known him for 14 years, and Donald Trump is 14 years, and Donald Trump is not a racist. And so, you know, uh, the, the, the allegations that he is are absolutely contrary to every experience that I've had with him over the last 14 years, and so um, we're going to end it there. So are there but Governor, Governor Paul Ryan said that, going into that next. Paul Ryan next. called it textbook racism today. Well, listen, listen, you know what? Congressman Ryan is entitled to his opinion, as is everybody else who has an opinion on this. I've expressed mine, and if all we're going to do is talk about this, I'm going to get in the car and go back because I've given you my opinion. You have other questions? Was, it a, answer them. was, it, was it a mistake? Michael, uh, I am not going to get into critiquing of a campaign that we're in the middle of. There'll be plenty of times for post-mortem after the campaign is over, and you want to ask me about it then, that's fine. But I'm not going to micro-analyze every bit of a campaign, because you know what? The voters don't. Um, and what matters here is winning and losing, first and foremost. Um, and what matters here is where the country's direction will be after whoever okay, wins this election. Stop right there. That is the key component, right? What matters is winning and losing, first and foremost. And it turns out being a decent person matters more to me. It turns out that not being a piece of crap matters more to me. It turns out that you can still take the... It's awkward, but you're better off taking the Paul Ryan decision. He said something terrible. He's still better than Hillary. You're better off taking that position if you're going to be Chris Christie than doing what Chris Christie is doing here. And there are more Republicans doing what Chris Christie is doing here, making excuses for Trump, saying that what Trump does is okay because the left does it. It isn't. It isn't. The perversion of conservatism is happening in real time because people have to feel good about backing their guy. They can't just condemn him and then say he's still better than Hillary. It puts them in an awkward political spot. And so instead what they're doing is they're now forced to become full-time Trump defenders. That is a full-on disaster area. And again, this guy is basically indefensible. I mean, there's a lot about him that is indefensible. The only defense that he's better than Hillary, that defense gets more and more awkward every time Trump opens his mouth. There's an ad out from Priorities USA. It's a Hillary super PAC. I hate Priorities USA. It's disgusting. They ran a, they ran a, a super PAC ad back in 2012 implying that Mitt Romney had fired somebody so that his wife would die of cancer. This is the famous Joe Soptic ad. This is an ad that is devastating to Trump. It's devastating to Trump. And this is the problem, folks. I get so many emails. Why don't you talk more about Hillary? Why don't you talk less about Trump? Because Hillary is going to remain Hillary. But you all don't have to remain Trumpians. Okay, Hillary's going to be Hillary. She's going to be just as snaky as she always was. My dad always taught me, expect a snake to be a snake. And I expect Hillary to be who Hillary is. But I think it's vital that you, not Trump, you, make clear your disdain for somebody who does things that are immoral and bad. Because if you don't, you're going to be smearing his candidacy all over your ideology, all over your principles, from American exceptionalism to racism to, to what he said here. This ad is, is a really good ad. It's a really good ad because... It points out something about Trump that really is egregious. There's a defense to the ad, but Trump can't make it. Here's the ad, then I'll tell you what, what should be the defense. I remember being in the ultrasound room and finding out that our daughter was going to be born with a disability in spina bifida. She was born 20 weeks later on Valentine's Day, and...
and she is a total blessing in our lives. Grace is the happiest child you've ever seen. Despite all of her medical challenges, she brings out um, the goodness in each person. And that's what we see every day with Grace. When I saw Donald Trump mock a disabled person, I was just shocked. You gotta see this guy, oh, I don't know what I said, oh, I don't remember. That reporter he is talking about suffers from a chronic condition <coughs> that impairs movement of his arms. The children at, at Grace's school all know never to mock her. And so for an adult to mock someone with a disability is shocking. When I saw Donald Trump mock somebody with a disability, it showed me his soul. It showed me his heart. And it, I didn't like what I saw. Priorities USA Action is responsible for the content of this advertising. Brutal ad. Brutal ad. There's no comeback from that ad. Now, the normal comeback would be from any normal person who hadn't mocked the disabled. The normal comeback would be, you like, you're a Democrat. You like killing those kind of kids in the womb, right? Kids who have spinal bifida, you recommend to parents that they abort. Or that kid never would have gotten to live if it, had, if it had been for Democrat rule. But Trump can't make that defense because he's busy insulting people after they're born. This is the problem with Trump. Trump, Trump corrupt, and he, an absolute Trump corrupts absolutely. Okay, so that's that's the that's the the rule, and that's what we're watching right now. And it's so awkward for all of the people who are advocates for Trump. And I hope they enjoy it because this is going to be it's going to be a long five months, gang. It's going to be a long five months. And by the way, it ain't going to let up. Trump's going to do this every day. He's not going to stop being Trump. The media is not going to stop being the media. And it's going to be very hard to defend Trump from the media when they're saying true things about him. We can attack the media for being dishonest with Hillary, but they're not being dishonest with Trump on this stuff. And that's the problem. The most dishonest people are still being honest about Trump. They were dishonest about him before by ignoring all this. The first time he said the Mexican judge stuff, by the way, was in February. And the media completely ignored it. Shocker, he wins the nomination. Boom, it's top of the news. Okay, it's time for stuff I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So stuff I like. I'm doing sports this week. I'm a big sports fan. In particular, I'm a big fan of baseball and basketball and football. I wish I could get into hockey. I'm, I think I got into it a little bit late. It's fun to watch, but I don't know enough about it to really be a big fan. But golf, tennis, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of all of these. But baseball is my favorite sport. And so yesterday we did some boxing stuff. I like boxing as well. Here is, here is the, the best baseball book, or at least the best-selling baseball book probably ever written. It's a book called Ball Four by Jim Bouton. Um, this book is R-rated. It's totally R-rated, but it's the first of its kind. It was... It was a book that was written by Jim Bouton, who, who had, he was a fastballer for the, for the New York Yankees, and he blew out his arm and tried to reinvent himself as a knuckleball pitcher. Uh, and he came back and he wrote this memoir during his season where he pitched for the Seattle Pilots. This is before the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and then he pitched for the Houston Astros. And it is hilarious. It's R-rated. It's really funny. Uh, it kind of explodes the myths about, about baseball in some ways. It's, it's a, it's, I, I love it. It's a great bathroom book. It's a really, really funny book. He got basically banned by the Yankees organization almost for life because of this book, by the way. Uh, so it's really good. Also, in, in the baseball realm, I'm going to watch a great baseball movie. I think this is probably the best baseball movie ever made. And there are a lot of good baseball movies. And maybe we'll do another one tomorrow. You know, the one that, that all guys know is the, 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 the men, men Crying movie. We'll do that one tomorrow. Men Crying Baseball movie. And every man with an earshot knows what I'm talking about. This is probably the best baseball movie of all time. This one is, is 61, Billy Crystal directed this, and it's a terrific film. HBO made it, and it's about the hunt, the, the, the battle between Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris to hit 61 home runs and defeat Babe Ruth's record. Really well done. The baseball actually looks authentic. Here's some of the trailer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Yankee Stadium. This is a fantastic story, fellas. Two Yankees playing in the house that Ruth built, both going after his record. It's great for baseball. Holy cow! There it goes! Back to the wall! It's gone! 
Maris comes over from Kansas City, first year with the team. He beats Mickey out for the MVP. You're telling me Mano wouldn't be pissed off that Maris doesn't have something to prove? How about the home run record? You think you got a shot at the bait? I think if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Mickey. It's pretty amazing the guy can play at all, considering how much pain he's in. Maybe if he took better care of himself, he wouldn't be injured so much. It's a tough time not to have fun in. You can write what you want, Sam. The fans love this guy. They love him. How come Maris never smiles? He's having the season of his life, and he looks like a zombie out there. Number seven. Mickey. It says 80% of the fans are rooting for Mickey. Well, I guess that seems right. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe I'm not a New York kind of guy, Sam. I'm just some dumb redneck from North Dakota. As for the M&M boys, I'm told there's a feud growing between them. Are we feud? Yeah, I guess so. It's on TV. Well, <laughs> yours. Well, there's a couple of huckleberries out there letting Roger know they don't want him to break Bruce's record. Can you believe this? They're booing him in his own ballpark. Why is it gotta be they've only got room in their hearts for one guy? I don't know, sweetheart. You guys are all over him day and night. A film by Billy Crystal. Okay, it's, we don't have to watch the whole trailer. It's, it's terrific. It's really, really good. Uh, so take a, take a look at 61. Um, and uh, it's, you know, teen, teens and above. But it's it's really, really a good film. Okay, things that I hate. So one of the things that I really despise, the media now featuring every kid who has a, a mental illness and thinks that they're of the opposite sex. They, they've turned them all into heroes. And so you, every day there's a new video. It's a, it's a viral video of some poor kid who's been victimized by their parents and suffers from a severe mental illness. 40% of people who are transgender or describe themselves as such will attempt suicide in their lifetime as opposed to less than 2% of the normal population. It's, it's horrifying. It's terrible in every way. Um, so the newest video that is like this, there's this video that's being pushed by Teen Vogue magazine because we have to recruit kids to this now. It's being pushed by Teen Vogue magazine, and it's this little boy He's 14 years old, and his parents have turned him into a girl, or they're trying to turn him into the girl. And she's care, and he, he looks it looks like a girl here because they've done his hair up like a girl, but he's a boy. Uh, and he is is holding up signs talking about their tra- his transition into a girl. And this is this is the video. When I was little, I loved to play with dolls and play dress up. Is the card that this boy is holding. I loved painting my nails too. Wearing my mom's high heels was my favorite. But only in the house, never outside. Because I was born a boy. I never had many friends. I didn't fit in with girls, and the boys made fun of me. In fifth grade, I was bullied so bad. Almost every day, I came home from school crying. They would make up lies to try to get me in trouble. One of the kids told me I should kill myself because no one liked me anyway. He told me no one would miss me if I was dead. They were so mean. I just wanted to die. Okay, by the way, transgenders after surgery want to die also. So my parents took me out of school and homeschooled me. I was so, so, so thankful. I asked my mom if I could wear a dress and high heels to the store. She said yes. So I did and it felt amazing until... A woman in the store started taking pictures of me with her phone. 
another lady was pointing and laughing. Okay, and it goes on like this, right? I mean, and then the idea is that we can stop it here, but I felt like a freak. I felt like a misfit. And then I realized I saw Jazz Jennings on TV. It's a documentary about a boy who thinks he's a girl, and his parents are making it, uh, are, are, are treating this as, as normal. Now Corey is happy and back in public school, writes Teen Vogue. This time she's at a school where her peers and teachers accept her. She plays on the girls' soccer team and uses the girls' bathroom just as she should. This acceptance is so important. Though 41% of transgender people will attempt suicide at some point in their lives, we know that support and love from their community can prevent this. No, that's false. That's not true. Okay, support and love from the community would be making sure that people, kids particularly, who suffer from mental illness, get treatment for the mental illness, they don't mutilate their bodies, and they don't put themselves in positions in school where kids are going to victimize them. Okay, it doesn't mean that kids should victimize kids ever, okay? Bullying is, is against school rules. But don't tell me that the parents aren't partially responsible for letting their kid go to school dressed as a girl and he's a boy. If kids make fun, kids are mean, kids are nasty. And the parents are mean and nasty for doing this to their kid. Okay, just to make, a, and then, to, and then to, to put their, their kid out there as though the kid is, is totally fine and should be a model for other kids. The idea that kids are not malleable in their behavior is just ridiculous, and we all know this is true. But it doesn't matter for the left. The left only wants its, its, its version of reality. It's significantly more important for them to have their version of reality than it is for, for actual reality to prevail, even if it means that kids suffer. Okay, tomorrow we will be back. We'll give you some results of the California primaries. Hillary will have locked this up, so we'll have pictures of Hillary dancing. It'll be horrifying. But I hope that you'll show up despite all the horrific campaigning and, and Hillary dancing up on ladies. We have a gif of that one already. So prepare thyselves. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 